Hey there guys, welcome back to another episode of Success, Lifestyle and Laughter with myself, Coach Rob Latibodier and Emma Hyman, the Posing Pro. We give you actionable steps in order to supercharge your life, whether it be in your business, sporting world, private life or relationships, you will get all of that in this podcast. We bring you lots of interesting, actionable content and interviews without the BS. So if you're looking for inspiration, motivation, and a bit of fun, this is the place to be. So, hi, welcome to um, Team LRF, Rob Whitfield. Um, great to have you on and joining us. How are you doing, Rob? How are you doing? Yeah, very well. Yourself? Awesome. Thank you very much. I'm absolutely fantastic. It's a beautiful sunny day today, which we don't get a hell of a lot of in Leeds, but hey, you know, let's let's always enjoy whatever we do get, eh? Got to make the most of it. Yeah. So it's great to um, um, have you on the show. I'm, I'm super excited about it. I've heard loads about you and I've never met you. I've never spoke to you before. So I'm excited. I'm excited to get going and uh, find out a bit more about you and your journey. Yeah, hopefully it's good, not bad. So, uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. You know, to start with, though, Rob, what we like to do um, is we like to just have a bit of fun, relax our way into it. And what we have is um, what we call a three minute quick fire round. So we ask you five questions, but you've only got three minutes to answer them. So they kind of just get those neurons going in the brain and get you just thinking about stuff. But they're for fun. So it should be OK. So what we're going to do is I'll set my timer. Nine or seven. <laughs> <laughs> um, and we'll just go from the top. Um, do you want to take it in turns, Emma? So yeah, super. Fire away with the first question. Okay, first question. You get given £20,000 and some plane tickets. What do you do and where do you go? Probably go to Australia because it's a place I've never been to and it's somewhere that I've always wanted to go because it looks amazing um, and it's a massive country and I, I like to uh, explore. So probably Australia. Awesome. So you get in your car to go somewhere. What's your go-to music? I'll be honest, I don't listen to music, Rob. I don't listen to music. My radio is never on. Um, I always listen to podcasts. But if I had to choose, um, I do like some slow jams. I like some slow jams. Oh, Oh. slow jams. Interesting. (laughs) (laughs) Okay. Can you describe yourself in three to five words? Um, direct, honest, opinionated. <laughs> <laughs> I like it. So, who's been, or could say who yet, yeah, who's been the biggest influence in your life and why? Um, probably my mum. My mum passed away actually a couple of years ago, um, and she was always very, very proud of me, um, and. It was when, obviously, when she passed away, I just wanted to carry on that legacy. And obviously, she's not here, but I never wanted to let her down. So she was probably my biggest influence. Awesome. Oh, that's nice. Um, okay, so what would be your last social media post ever? If you could only do one more, what's your message to the world? What would be your last post? Just work hard. Like, I think that's... Uh, it seems to be something which is missing these days. People mm-hmm. seem to think it's a skill um, when working hard should be a mandatory requirement for everybody. So just work hard, head down, get on with the job. Yeah. Love it. Nice. Love that. There were well some done. good answers. There were good answers. And we did it in two and a half minutes. So, hey, well done. Awesome. Good. 
Love it, love it. Okay, so let's get into it then. Um, give us a bit of uh, an about you and what your background is, uh, what you've done so far, and just, um, yeah, give us a little bit of an insight into you. Yeah, for sure. So my bodybuilding journey started actually probably quite young, at like 16 or 17. Um, I got released from Spurs when I was 16. I was a youth academy player. And the way the youth academy scheme works is at 16, they start to put you on a professional contract. Um, and I didn't make the grade. I didn't make the grade. And the way the, uh, the YTS worked back then was the first day was all fitness assessments. So if you couldn't pass the fitness test, didn't matter how skillful you were, you wouldn't be selected for a professional contract. And that summer, I became incredibly overweight just through being lazy. I would play PlayStation and I would eat shit and I would, I can, I can say shit. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> you, you can curse as much as you want. Everything goes on here. <laughs> right. I would eat shit and I would drink cans of Coke and I just got incredibly overweight. And on the first day, my dad took me to the, to the academy and I fouled and I, and I had to turn around and there were no parents allowed to watch. So no, no parents were allowed to watch. So at the end of the day, my dad picked me up and he said, Rob, how'd you get on? And I had to turn around and say to him, well, I didn't make it, you know, and that, that was an incredibly disappointing thing for both me and, and my dad. Um, and he asked me, you know, you know, how, how can you not make it, Rob? You know, you're, you're, you scored the most goals for the last three or four seasons and, you know, and, and how, how have you not made it? And I just said I didn't pass the fitness test. And that day, my dad took me to the gym. He took me to the gym that day and was like, you will never foul again on something for, for something that you can control. That's in your uh, control, yeah. So, so yeah, so I, that's how my bodybuilding journey started. I started when I was 16. I went into a gym. I just got on the treadmill. And whenever my dad wouldn't be in the gym, I'd go and do some weights because he wouldn't let me do weights. So whenever he left, I thought I'd go on the bench press and I'd do some bicep curls and stuff like that. And I began to really, really enjoy the weights more than the running and the cardio. Um, anyway, fast forward a couple of years, um, I was 22, uh, and I was training in a bodybuilding gym now. Um, and a few people said to me, Rob, you should compete. Rob, you should compete. I was like, I, I ain't getting in no pants and competing. Like, <laughs> <laughs> Isn't it funny? That's what like, I said. All, yeah. all of the guys say that initially. They're all like, no, I'm not putting on any little tight pants. I've still and never competed. Glazing myself <laughs> up. And then here we are, a few years down the line, they no. all get on stage. <laughs> I was like, I'm, I'm not getting I'm not, that ain't me, that ain't me. Anyway, there was a, a, an IFBB pro in, at the time in the gym called Ian Wadley, and uh, he was like, Rob, you, you need to compete. And he was a very, very well-respected bodybuilder and very, very well-respected powerlifter. And I thought, if this is coming from him, you know, he must see something in me. Anyway, I competed, and I didn't have a clue. I didn't know what I was doing. I didn't really know much about bodybuilding. Anyway, I, I was 22. I didn't even know there was a juniors class. Um, so, I, I, you know, I did my diet. Um, you know, I did a very, very old-school diet because back then there was no coaches. Yeah. Uh, I ate white fish and veg five times a day, and then one, one meal a day I had turkey. Um, I was doing two hours cardio a day. And it was a drain, like it was a drain on everything, drain on myself, drain on my social life, drain on everything. Anyway, just because of the personality that I am, I was like, I'm never giving up. I'm not giving up. I'm going to do it. I'm going to go there. And I did it. Anyway, I did it. And as I said, I didn't even know there was a junior class. So I did it. And I did a classic bodybuilding class and uh, ended up coming third in a big lineup. And uh, I just thought, man, this is so like, this is, how do all these people do this, man? This is so hard, you know, like eating white fish and veg and not going out and not, you know, not having no energy. I thought there must be a better way. Anyway, so I then started to seek the help of other coaches. And uh, again, 
back then, the incident, although it's only six, seven years, I don't know, more yeah, than seven. I was, that, I was wondering how old you were, so. so. I was 22 at the time, I'm 31 this year, so okay. it would be, you know, that eight, nine years ago now. Yeah. The internet was poor, there was no social media, mm-hmm. uh, you know, and who did you talk to? They only talked to the people that were in the gym. Yeah. Anyway, there was a guy at the gym, and he was uh, he was telling me about this flexible dieting method, and I thought, oh, that sounds good. Like, I'm gonna give that a go. Anyway, he was the first sort of person who I approached about a proper diet, and then things like online coaching started coming about, and I and I competed the year after with a little bit more flexibility in my diet. You know, maybe I'd have a cereal like a Weetabix after I trained, and then I just built up my knowledge like by buying other coaches' programs. So I worked with people like John Meadows, Milos Starchev. Uh, Jordan Peters, um, Neil Cramwell. Like I worked with a lot of lot of very very good coaches, and I built up my own sort of um, own sort of resume of taking bits from each one of them. Yeah, because you can take from each one what works best for you, and then al- almost design the perfect plan for you. Absolutely, yeah. And during that time when I was competing, so I competed 2011, 2012, 2013, 2014, 2015. And along each one of those journeys, people would come to me and say, Rob, can you help me? Rob, can you help me? Rob, can you help me? And I was working full time um, at Public Health England, which was like a, a government health organization at the time. So I had a, I had a good, well-paid job. So I said, yeah, I'll, I'll help you. You know, don't pay me anything. I'll, you know, and soon one person became two, two became three, three become 10, 10 become 20. Because the people that we were prepping were doing really well and they were enjoying their preps. Um, and again, I got into the market at a very, very good time. Um, but that base then soon went from like 20 to 30. And I was like, well, I need to now decide what I'm going to do. Am, am I going to continue this coaching or am I just going to hold it like 20, 30 clients and continue my day job? Anyway, I thought, you know what? I enjoy the coaching side of things. Let's go down the route of coaching. So from 2015, I was a full time coach. Um, and from there, we've sort of just built and built and built and built. You know, um, now we're at 150 clients. Um we, we own a, like a, a like the biggest sort of gym in Kent uh, in terms of square foot. One of the biggest independent gyms in the UK. Uh, we're, we're launching our own supplement brand. You know, we've just gone from sort of strength to strength to strength. Um, all all sort of just from the space of 2015 to where we are now, 2019. I think as well, the industry from that point has almost exploded. Um, so there's just become so much more de- demand for online coaches. Now, yeah. obviously, you're you're one of the most recognised and one of the best coaches in the UK. Um, and you, for me, you you definitely seem to have a direction of your the female athletes. Is that something that you purposely went for because you knew there was no more of a market or or more of a demand, or was it just something that happened quite organically and naturally? It, it was an organic process. Like the, the first few people I prepped were all men. The first okay. person I turned pro was actually a men's physique athlete. Um, so the first British champion I had was a men's physique athlete as okay. well. So because all it, we really see you as now is like the all your 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 girls. You've got like a, a team of girls that seem to just smash it. So um, it's surprising to know that your first your first pro your first few online clients were um, were actually males. Yeah, for sure. And um, you know there was actually a point in sort of. Or 2015, 2016, where I, I said I would not prep females. You know, they're, they're, if you go, yeah, if you go back for Instagram, I, I said I put out a post that I, I will not prep bikini girls anymore. Um, you know, just because at the time the 
the criteria was very iffy. People didn't really know what we were looking for. You know, mm-hmm. I'd prep a girl when she'd win one show, and then I'd prep another girl, almost identical, look, and she placed last. And I was, just, you know, I'd scratch my head and think, man, what? You know, th- th- there isn't much difference in her the way that she now, looked. Was that with a, a p- particular federation? Yeah, it was like you know. Again, at the time, the only real federation was the UKBFF. Yeah. You know, that was the only real federation. Girls were competing there, and you know, as I said, one week they would win, the next week they were placed last. And I was like, man, what's going on here? Like, I, I'm, you know, figure I always found quite easy, but it's very similar to it, not bodybuilding, but you need, yeah. to be, you know, you need to have but a step. The overall, the end goal and the look, it's it's quite a consistent look. Whereas I I understand what you mean about bikini because it can it can vary. There's two yeah. opposite ends of the spectrum, a little bit like tone figure. It can go either way. Yeah, absolutely, and. And as I said, yeah, there was a time where I said, you know what, I, I won't prep bikini girls anymore because I, I want them to get the best possible result they can in terms of the way they look and also getting a trophy out of the show because everybody goes to win at the end. Of the yeah. Um, yeah. So, so I was like, all the bikini girls, I sent them to other coaches. Yeah. The bikini girls I was working with, I sent them to other coaches. I said, I can't work with you anymore, but here's this person and here's that person. And the way it actually started again was uh, Megan Silvestra. So Megan is very good friends with Ria. And uh, we we went to the Arnold Classic as um, as a team. Uh, Ria went out there. And Ria said to Megan, you really need to speak to Rob um, about being coached. And I was like, all right, I'll give it another go. Anyway, I coached her for the British final. She came fourth or fifth. And then from there, Phoebe came on board. And then Phoebe, in her first show, turned pro. Uh, She won the the PCA show. And then she also won an IFBB pro card. Mm -hmm. And then again, organically, it sort of just picked up from there. Off the back of that, you tend to find that builds, it naturally builds momentum anyway, doesn't it? When you get those, those few first winners everyone just starts to follow absolutely and 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 it was the shift also in federations as well you know it was very clear now what the judges wanted which was great for me because i had a picture in my mind and i could Mm -hmm. say right we're going to work as closely as we can to get to that picture whereas before i i I thought i had a picture but one week i would have it and the next week i wouldn't so i didn't have clear vision about what was needed Mm -hmm. and when i don't have clear vision again i was just a bit like I don't know what to do. You just the- don't, yeah, you just don't know how to bring in your clients because it's like yeah. you could bring them in one end of the spectrum or the other and one might win, one might not. Absolutely. So so without that clear vision, I was like, you know, the best thing that I can do for myself and my business is just say, you know what, I'm not the right coach for you. Here is coach ABC. They do very, very well. Go and see them. Yeah. And, and, and until that point, which was which was only really 2000, was it 2007, a couple of years ago. Yeah, I was going to say not that long ago, because um, yeah. like, I remember you really coming to the forefront, probably when when Phoebe got her pro card, really. Yeah, for sure. And and, and that, as I said, that was sort of, yeah, that, that, that's all not happened by luck, but just yeah. happened yeah. Just, through, just through, you know, consistency, just being there, being there, being there. And then, yeah. and then becoming a slightly more open minded coach and saying, right. Actually, let, let's give this another go. You know, it, it's a different federation now. I can see the criteria. I can see the vision that girls want to have and want to look like. Let's give it a go. So mm-hmm. we gave it a go. And, and since then, you know, we've had you know, three, four girls turn pro in bikini, um, which, as I said, three, four years ago, I wasn't even prepping bikini girls. No, no. And it's probably a case of like you because you consistently d- deliver results that just brings more people in and then they stay with you as well. So the service has a lot to do with it. And I think there, um, because there is so many online coaches now, it's really hard for 
for especially beginners and newbies to know where to go and who to trust. But you've definitely built such a reputation that you are a very reputable coach um, and a trustworthy one as well. Like you, you know, your girls always look healthy. Um, and yeah, you, you definitely deliver the best results possible. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. The, the, the question I always say to new coaches is, how do you diversify? Okay, how, how do you diversify? How do you make yourself different? For me, I'm at a stage where I diversify because people know who I am, like you say, and they know the results that we get. But if you're a newbie coming into the industry, how do you diversify? Do yeah. you, you know, are, are you somebody who is going to take, you know, incredible care of your athletes where they're checking in every other day? And, mm. Or are you somebody who is going to say, right, I'm going to travel to you and have a look at you in person? You know, how do you diversify in a month? How, yeah, how do, you, how do you actually manage that? Because you obviously, like you said, you have, what, 100 Personally, I have 110 clients, but in terms of the business, we have 150. Um, okay. So, so uh, how do you manage that in regards to um, the? Because I, I know online clients can be demanding. <laughs> um, but it's like, how how do you manage that? How do you diversify it? Well, well, it's my full time job. So it's my full time job. Although I, I own the gym, mm-hmm. I don't work at the gym. I, okay. I have employees who work for me. So it's my full time job to okay all the time and. Um, you know, it, it's just hard. You know, there, there's no, there's no, you know, you, you can't sugarcoat. You can't switch off, really, can you? Do you know what no. I mean? Every you, it's not a choice just to be able to switch off or have a holiday because pretty much all year round, your clients need their check-ins, especially when it's showtime, even more so. So it's um, it's a That's very, very a big of, commitment. It's a lot of <laughs> there's a lot of admin there, isn't there as well? So where does that mindset come from in you to? to have got you to where you are now from that that big failure how did that affect you you know from having that big failure as such and from the football end and also another question I wanted to ask you at that point but it sort of got away from us is why not lower leagues why didn't you ever think or did you just think that's it I'm out of this well I did actually I I was contracted to Stevenage when I was 19 so I was contracted to Stevenage when I was 19 um I played maybe eight or nine games for them but Mm -hmm. I just lost the love for it like I just lost the love for it like I would I would play on a Saturday and I, I would then maybe pick up a nick, like a niggle on my knee or ankle or something because I, I played football like I play everything. I play everything hard and play to win. So, you know, there was no sort of pussying out of anything. I would play hard and play to win. But then, it, you know, it would then affect my training. You know, I, I, maybe I couldn't train because I was stiff until like sort of Tuesday. Mm-hmm. Then I've got to practice again on Wednesday. Then I've got to play again on Saturday and it would affect my training. And again, it was like a decision, sort of like an A and B decision. Do, do I want to play football at 100% or do I want to do bodybuilding? Yeah, pick, you've got to come to a crossroads and decide mm-hmm. which one you're going to give 100% to. Yeah. Just flicking back slightly. What what do you think gives you that mindset of you go all in, it's yeah, all or nothing? I was going to ask that. <laughs> I picked up on that yeah. as well. Where did it come from, though? Because was that a family thing? Is your dad like that, your mum like that? Where does that come from, that mindset that just says, did you always have it as a kid or did that something you cultivated? You know, I don't, I don't think it came from as a child because I've got a brother and a sister and they're both very, very different to me. Uh, they're both very different. So I, I, don't, I don't know whether it was installed you know, maybe by my peers when I was younger, unknowingly, um, you know, but w- whatever I did, you know, my dad is a very, very quiet person. Um, you know, he, he never ever said you have to do this or you have to do that. Um, you know, so I was never, he, I was pushed, but in a different sort of way. And, and again, I just thought, you know, I, I just think that's a winner's mentality and I consider myself a winner. So whenever I think oh, I'm going to give 50% to this, I thought, 
Well, I'm even going to give nothing or 100%. You know, so if I'm sitting in the middle, it's probably not worth doing. So I'd rather just be balls deep, go straight in and just, you know, just give 100%. If I foul, then I've fouled knowing that I've given 100%. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and that's sort of the mindset that I take into everything. Yeah. Yeah, I love do you, that. Do you think that comes from maybe um, playing sport from a younger age? Because I try and relate it to, obviously, I used to, I danced from when I was three and I sometimes like same mentality like it's all or nothing like whatever you're going to do you're going to succeed in it um could it could it come from that it could do it depends um because you'll be surprised how much the influence of parents have on you and your socioeconomic circle growing up and it can be so subtle then you take that into sport loads of people get into sport but they don't have that do or die attitude Mm. so you can't say sport just does that I think a lot of it is probably and probably for you as well is um down to who was training you in that sport Mm -hmm. so your first early coaches maybe in football maybe even at school maybe something you subtly picked up from them and the guys you were playing with and then you can bring it out and then the rest of it's about your personality so that goes back to parents again you know because at school you can have a really great games teacher or football teacher who really instills everything into you but at home you've got maybe family who are very oh it doesn't matter don't worry about it you know take it easy it'll be okay and they will undo a lot of that good work so there's a mixture of both. I think if you have some really good trainers and you have some parents, even if they're quiet, but they're quite steely um, and supportive, you cultivate this this drive. And, and that's then down to the individual, because like you say, you've got a brother or you said or something who's not, you know, they're not that, that same way. So I think a lot of it could be from the people who you first trained with at football i don't know is that is that resonate with you or, or did you yes. get it more from yeah i've got a question for you actually then rob but I'll, I'll answer your question first so um I, I just when i was young i don't ever remember being told i couldn't do something so like if i said well actually i'm, I'm gonna go and play for spurs and I, I was never told no you can't do that you're not good enough you know if, if when i you know when i you know i had aspirations of you know owning a gym when i when i was like you know when i first started getting into bodybuilding i was 18 19 i said to my friends openly said to my friends i'm gonna own a gym when i'm older nobody ever said to me don't be so stupid or you can't do that you know, I, I was never surrounded by those people. Again, subconsciously, maybe I just sort of got rid of those people. Um, but now consciously, I get rid of those people. But mm-hmm. maybe at the time, subconsciously, I was like, I don't want to hang around you. Like, I'm, I'm you were already gravitating to the, the positive people who were kind of encouraging what you wanted to do without even really knowing it. Yeah, for sure. So so my question to you then, Rob, would be, mm. ima- imagine someone didn't have that, like they didn't have that sort of, um, you know, peer group growing up and they get into their 20s and they're kind of a negative person mm-hmm. do you think they can flip and, and sort of create that positive mindset yes anyone can flip it you've got to have what we call a growth mindset so people have either got a fixed mindset or a growth mindset so <clears throat> a lot of people grow up and and they have this what we call in psychology a fixed mindset and by that it means you know, when you get to the end of school, 16, 17, 18, 19, if you go to uni, whatever, some people believe that you've learned what you've learned and you kind of have, you get to about 21 and you peter out and you've, you've developed as much as you're pretty much going to. And that's called a fixed mindset. But then there's others and, and 
this is the attitude you have to cultivate is that we have an ability to have a growth mindset where you can be developing and developing and developing. I'm still learning now and I'm old, you know, I'm 50 and a lot of people don't know that. But um, uh, so you can you can continue to grow and develop. What I do with clients is I call it immersion. So it's 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 totally immersing them into a, a different world. So like you say, if they haven't been around that peer group or they've not had that kind of development, then it's about immersing them into positive mindset through listening to podcasts, reading books, um, being around great mentors, coaches, you know, investing in yourself to learn and develop and just in, immersing yourself in that world and then slowly getting rid of any negative or fixed mindsets around you. Like you said, now you physically avoid that purposely rather than subconsciously. So it's about that. Sometimes we can't get rid of all those people because sometimes those people are your family. But what you can do is actually go out of your way to cultivate being around people who are more driven and and more ambitious. So join a club of a different type, go to uh, get a hobby where there's, you know, motivated people, just find new people to add to the people who you've you've originally got around you. And that immersing in that world like that. Um, I have a joke with my clients where I say, you have to stop listening to music for a while. <laughs> you know, um, supporting millionaires on their journey is not serving you. You know, listen to a podcast you know, and, and it's alien to a lot of people, but podcasts are growing 30% year on year at the moment. They're huge at the moment. And over the next year and a half, people, are, they're going to explode. Um, remember, guys, if you're listening to this, you heard it here first. They are going to explode at the moment. So I just try and cultivate into people, if they want to change that, you've really got to immerse yourself into a different world. You've got to um, cultivate the learnings of these people and, and listen to podcasts like yours or ours or, you know, big people, Gary Vee, Tony Robbins, there's loads of Ed Myler, Christ, the, 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 the list is endless. But when you do that, yes, you can change, you can develop and you can actually flip it, but they've got to really commit to the process because the brain will want to pull them back to their old behaviors um, and performance because it's comfortable the brain fundamentally has one function to avoid pain and go towards pleasure there's a hell of a lot more to it than that granted but ultimately that's what it wants to do and it's painful to change so it, it talks to you and gives you a load of bs excuses as to why you shouldn't read that book listen to that podcast do that extra training go to the gym at all everything and, and it'll whisper away like, hey, the settee seems really cool tonight. Let's get that tinny you've got in the fridge and put your feet up and Corrie's on or something. I don't know. Do you know what I mean? And it sounds good. So you do it. And as soon as you do it, you feel good because everything we do is about emotion. So once you feel good, you go, oh, so you'll repeat that behavior. And it's about changing it. And then, you know, Finding a form of exercise, if it's exercise that you want to do or if it's learning or development, find a way to do it that you enjoy. Podcasts have opened things up for people because they can sit and listen to it, whereas a lot of people don't like to read. So audiobooks are a great way of reading when you're not really a great reader of normal books. So you've just got to find something that will inspire you. And I think, yeah, everyone can develop from there. Yeah, I wanted I wanted to get that out of you, Rob, because like myself, like I know. Again, people will look at successful people and 
they'll say, oh, well, they had a better childhood, they had a better coach, they had a better parent, you know, and, and, and like you say, they'll put it down to that, but, you know, you'll explain it far better than what I can explain it, that people can change and people can become better, even though they, they might have a, you know, they, they might have had an abusive parent or an, an abusive friend or something, but don't live in that world forever, you know. And, yeah, uh, it's a choice, you know, isn't it? Um, yeah. And it's like you said, it's you've got to have that, you've got to open yourself up to that growth mindset. Yeah. And I think it's a case of if there's something you want to achieve or something you want to do or be successful, mm-hmm. It's it's all there for the taking. Yeah. Any anyone can do it. You just yeah. have to have that right mentality and really nurture that mentality and as, you said, as well. It doesn't matter about your background. No, it doesn't, doesn't matter. matter. Like, I've I've got oh god some there's I've studied some horrendous case studies of people with the worst possible backgrounds and they've gone on to achieve the most stuff. And there's actually a lot of studies done on this that. Actually, people from worse backgrounds tend to overachieve more because um, when you look at people who are, for want of a better phrase, born with a silver spoon or they've gone to private schools or they've they've had it really easy and mummy and daddy are earning, you know, hell of a lot of money or millionaires and, and everything's laid on a the plate. There's no the drive isn't there when things get tough. Because when things get tough, they can just ring mummy or daddy and it gets covered. There's no survival mode, really. There is there? And there's no need to either, yeah. you know, and you don't learn those resilient um, um, mindset. Um, you, you don't have the capabilities to get through the real tough times because, you know, when shit gets tough, you just pick up the phone, don't you? And it's over. But, you know, when you've had it, when you've had nothing, you know, you, you, you tend to roll up those sleeves and mm. go, do you know what? I want to change my life. And every little step you get of success, you go, oh, I like this. Mm. And you keep going. But, you know, if you come from a family who earn over, I don't know, 500,000 a year or a million a year or two million, or they've got a successful business of millions, it's very hard to cultivate that because you're comfortable. And, and one of the greatest sayings in personal development is there's no change. There's no growth in comfort. Sorry. So, you know, you need pain to grow sometimes. Yeah, for sure. Mm. Awesome. Um, can I move on to a slightly different direction? Um, businesses. Now, I mm. know you've got a few. Um, I know, obviously, most of your um, your our listeners and followers will know that you've got the the coaching company and the gym. Tell us a little bit about how you got to where you are in business and um, any kind of obstacles and things that you might have came across um, whilst trying to grow grow your brand and your business and anything else you've got going on underneath that umbrella. Yeah, for sure. So we have um, so we have the coaching business, which is which is our bread and butter, really. Uh, and then we've got the gym. Uh, and now we've got the online supplement store and we're just about to launch our own supplement brand as well. Mm-hmm. But um, awesome. I'll talk, again, I'll take you back to sort of um, like early, early days almost. Mm-hmm. Um, so I was that kid who was selling sweets in the playground. You know, I, I always had. And You've I, always had that work ethic. Yeah. Do you know what's funny? People ask me um, to be an entrepreneur. Do you have to be that kid that was selling sweets in the playground or can you cultivate it later? And there's a funny, there's a dichotomy with that. And a lot of people have got their ideas about it. But it's it's interesting that you you just said that because I've been asked that recently a couple of times. So quite interesting. But hey, carry on. Let's yeah, let's so, hear the story. I would go to the tuck shop and a tuck shop was selling, selling Mars bars for a pound. So when I went to Costco, I'd get a box and I'd sell them for 50p. And, and you know, I'd, I'd make money like that. And um, 
you know so i was that guy who was selling you know you know sweets and over summer i would i would work uh, as a binman i'd go and collect rubbish and I'd just collect my pound notes and then keep my pound notes and and then you know buying you know at the time i was young i'd buy nice trainers and nice t-shirts and you know just waste my money almost but i was, I was young so it was fine um and then uh yeah so and then then the coaching business came around and and you know i'd, I'd earn um, you know, I'd earn a couple of grand and I'd be like, right, I'm going to keep that and I'm going to save it. And then I'm going to, I'd earn a bit more and I'm going to keep that and I'm going to save it. And then eventually I built up enough money to sort of say, right, well, actually I've got enough money now. I, I want to go and buy a gym. And, uh, and let me just interject here because your gym is not small. <laughs> it's, it's not like a little PT studio. It's a big ass gym. Like yeah, it's, it's impressive. So this is the second gym, actually. So the first gym uh-huh. we was in London. So the first gym we had was in London. And, was that uh, Yorkies? Yorkies, yeah. Yeah, Yorkies. Uh-huh. So, um, so I was in – so I was actually on a holiday at the time, and um, my client, Barbara, um, she called me, and she was like, Rob, I've got nowhere to train. And I said, what do you mean you've got nowhere to train? She said, Yorkies has been closed. Um, you know, they're, they're, the bailiffs have come, locked up the gates, um, and they're behind or something in the rent, she would tell me. And uh, and my first instinct was like, give me the owner's number. Give me the owner's number. I want to talk to that person. I want to find out a bit more about this. Um, so anyway, I called up the owner and I was like, listen, I'm interested in clearing your debt and getting that gym going for you again. Um, anyway, I don't know if she thought I was winding her up or something, but, you know, she, she was like, well, you know, I'm not really interested. I said, all right, no problem. Anyway, I left it a couple of days, let the dust settle, and I called her again and said, listen, I'm really interested. Now, I was away at a friend's wedding in Greece at this time, so I was like, listen, I'm really interested. I'll get back on this day, can we meet? And um, and I think just that probing just sort of made her think, well, actually, he might, he might be serious. So met her, found out how much debt they were in, found out, like, all the, you know, all the little bits, the rent, the rates, da-da-da-da-da. Anyway, I, I could cover that, and then I, I, I couldn't actually get into the gym because the bailiffs had locked the door. So I sort of had to go online, have a look at a virtual tour of the gym, and I thought, you know what? And then I asked a couple of friends as well. I said, you know, what's Yorkies like? You know, what is there potential there? Could you see it doing well? Uh, and people, everybody was the same answer. It's a really, really good gym, but it's not very well run. And I was like, well, I, 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 can, I can change that. You know, I can change that. I've got confidence in myself. Uh, you know, I can change that. Anyway. Cut a long story short, when I joined the gym, they had 30 members, 3-0, 30 members, um, in a gym in London, which was... Wow, that's point. not a lot. Yeah. Yeah. No, no wonder the bailiffs were knocking. <laughs> and so I was like, you know what? I'm going to come in. I'm going I'm to go around. I'm going to assess everything. So I assessed everything. The machines are a little bit old. Spoke to members and was like, listen, what, what do you think we can improve on? They said, well, we need new cardio and da, 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 da. So I was like, no problem. Invested in some new cardio. Contacted a few guys I knew who owned gyms, and I was like, I'm looking for bits and bobs like i'm looking for a new chest press i'm looking for a new lap pull down do you have any contacts and they're like yeah yeah of course Rob. so they gave me the contacts i invested some money into the gym i got rid of the rubbish like there was some poor equipment in there got rid of that sold that collected the money went and stuck it into another when it stuck it into another gym anyway just through sort of marketing and telling people i was there uh, i sold the gym back to the original owner uh, with 155 members so we timed the membership by five um, so 500% we'd increase the membership by, and then that then gave me the capital to build a build a bigger gym, which is now what we, which we own in Ashford. You know, Ashford, the Ashford the Ashford gym is 13,000 square feet. Um, and let's give you a comparison. Strength Asylum is 10,000 square feet, and we're down here at 13,000 square feet. So it, it's it's a really really big gym. Yeah, um, nice. And and I went into Ashford, and I never knew anything about the area. 
I would all we were lucky to move to Ashford again. I think luck does play a, part, a massive part in success, but you have to put yourself in the opportunity to start with. So we moved to Ashford. I say then it's so, not always luck. It's it's your work ethic and your knowledge before that as well. makes yeah. that luck, and it mm. seems lucky to the outside world yeah. afterwards. But actually, you put yourself in that position. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I heard her saying that luck is opportunity and preparation put together. Yeah. You know, and I think that's a good saying, yeah. yeah. Um, so anyway, we moved to Ashford. And the only reason we moved to Ashford because I could get to Yorkies in an hour. And Mel, my partner, she could get to London because Ashford had a direct route into London. Anyway, I looked around Ashford. I couldn't find a single gym to train at. The nearest gym was like 45 minutes away. And I was like, great, massive business opportunity here. Found an old snooker hall. Found an old snooker hall. It already had a D2 license. Um, and I was like, right. Let's get us in. So we got in and the, the building was actually already under offer. So this building was already under offer. So I met with the landlord again. I, I seeked out the landlord's number through the estate agent who begrudgingly gave it to me. Um, and I said, I want to turn this into a gym. Um, I will pay you more than a going rate. I will, I will beat whatever offer they put in. Um, anyway, they were going to turn it into an indoor market. And, and I was like, man, you've got to go through change of use, da, 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 and just put a proposal towards him. And he accepted our proposal. Um, Again, I didn't know anyone in Ashford. I didn't know anything about Ashford. I just moved here and I was like, there's an opportunity. So on day one, I'd invested a quarter of a million pound in the gym. I didn't know if a single person was going to walk through the door. <laughs> I didn't know if a single person was going to walk through the door. I didn't know whether it would be successful, but I put my faith in my work. And for the first six months, I worked every single day, a minimum of 12 hours, a minimum of 12 hours for every single day. Um, and now, again, 18 months later, the gym's at 650 members. It's doing incredibly well. I don't work a shift at the gym. We're, we've employed, um, we've employed actually a lot of people who have been on my journey. So, like people like Barbara, who was the person who actually called me about Yorkies, she now works for me. Um, Jace is a, a member of staff here who has been with me, you know, since almost the start of Yorkies. Um, you know, hopefully when Rhea gets back from Toronto, we're going to employ Rhea. So we've got we've got a network of people now who I can trust and who have been with me from the start, who are able now to work with me and, and create this, you know, create this, you know, which is now one of the biggest brands in the UK, which is LRF. Um, and then we sort of find, so now we've got the coaching business, now we've got the gym. We thought, where, where else can we diversify? You know, I, I don't want to diversify in a market I don't know. Um, so I was like, what what comes next? Surely the next step or one of the next steps would be supplements. You know, so we opened up a supplement brand um, called My Gym Supps. And we then sort of right, went and spoke to people again in the supplement industry. Where do you get your supplements from? Where are they best? Where are they cheapest? Da, 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 da. And we found a company that were able to deliver to us um, at a very, very low cost as long as we put in big quantities of orders. And then we went out and researched the market of supplements. Why do people buy supplements from Dolphin Fitness? Because Dolphin Fitness is the biggest brand online. And the massive comeback was that they are the cheapest in the industry. Mm-hmm. So it was like, right, great. We know, we know now how to match the best people in the industry. We have to match them on price. So we've done a loss leading sort of system for the last seven, eight months where we might only make 10p per product. But what we're doing is we're creating reputation. So we're creating reputation. Now people know us for somebody who delivers in 48 hours. You have great customer service. And we've now made no money in six months, maybe even seven, eight months. But now we've got the trust of people. So now we're able then to deliver our brand, which would be a very, very good brand, 
onto people who then already trust us and has created that trust in, in the brand of my gym subs. So they have that trust in my gym subs. If my gym subs recommends brand ABC, then people will then buy into brand ABC. So there's been a bigger picture the whole time um, with the sort of lost leading brand. But again, I'm not a luxury because I have money coming in from different avenues. Um, but again, if I didn't have money coming in from different avenues, I would have to find another way to make it work. And I would find that way to make it work because that's my mindset is mm-hmm. I will make this work. I will commit to it and, and, and it will work. Um, so that's sort of where we're at now. We have the we have three businesses going sort of 24 um, seven. And yeah, each business does does really well. What's the um what's the what's the end goal what's your yeah what's the legacy yeah you said before when your when your mum passed away you really just wanted to carry on her legacy what's that legacy what's the end goal um you know what this would be probably be very strange to both of you um i actually don't see myself in industry much longer than five or six years um I, i find the industry is changing massively um and i and i don't like the direction it's going in um so in terms of fitness, I just, you know, if I passed away tomorrow, I would want to be known as a coach that looked after people, that gave people in terms of everything that they wanted in terms of results, but really looked after their health as well and looked after their clients. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's how I want to continue in the fitness industry and, and leave my legacy in the fitness industry, that people go to Rob because they want the best results, but they also really, really care about the, their health as well. Mm-hmm. Um, and unfortunately, I do see a massive swing in the industry, um, which is which is, which is is phasing in now sort of every month where people just don't care about the way they, the way they are inside. Um, and, you know, and, and, and that I'm really, really not ashamed of, but I'm really disappointed in to be associated with because people just do not give a shit about how they get to a point they just want to get to a they point and, and sacrifice. be the best on yeah. stage and win and a lot of people now i think as well as the industry grows and grows people will just sacrifice what they can't see what's going on on the inside like you said so well um, even from my point of view um i get a lot of clients um with eating disorders or or binge eating as this new saying that everyone loves to use at the moment um and every year especially around um and you'll have to correct me if i'm wrong you two because i'm not 100 percent sure but especially around sort of november december time is that the end of the bodybuilding end season? of season right i get this influx of people who say they've they've got a binge eating thing they want to get it sorted for the next year and all this stuff and it's just going up year on year it's yeah. crazy the increase and it's like the, the, the industry is breeding more problems than it's it's supposed to be. It's supposed to be about health and fitness, right? Uh, correct me if I'm wrong. I yeah. don't know. <laughs> you know but, but the, the, the so unfortunate reality is, is that getting to the state you need to be on and stay on stage isn't healthy, really. That's why you we need coaches like yourself to guide people there to get them there in the best, best possible, possible way. Um, but then also there is is the um, the rebound of it of what happens afterwards you know that's the, such an important phase and a lot of coaches don't necessarily re- support that because they're like i've done the job now you you competed i've done the prep mm. i'm done See you I, later. I tap out you know so um it's really important that people get that full support all all year round before the show after the show because there it is the industry's growing so quickly 
it, the, people people are just hungry to just look their best, but they will sacrifice, and they're not necessarily educating themselves. But they're sacrificing everything, mindset, everything. There, there's mm. there's people really in a bad way um, because I'm, of I'm the flip side of that. You know, people people who are intelligent enough, they'll see that and they'll go and make a quick buck. They'll go and make a quick buck and say, I can help you get ready for a show. I'm going to charge you X amount, da, 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 da. get mm. 10, 11 clients, and then just leave those clients by the wayside. That mm. coach doesn't care. He's got mm. his couple of grand. He can put that money somewhere else. He's never to be seen again. Yeah. I think that's why as well, when I get obviously a lot of people saying to me recommendations on coaches, and I always send them to, there's about, there's four or five that I always recommend because you know they their, their full-time job, like yourself, is coaching so it is it is um crucial that they are delivering a standard all of the time consistently and there is like you said a lot of coaches that will just look to make a quick book and also the the athletes that are new they whatever they're told to do they will do so when it maybe even comes down to taking certain supplements or being assisted they 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 just do what the coach says and if the coach thinks like take a, B, and C, and you'll look great on stage, and that's it. They they have no no insight or education about what they are actually doing to their bodies. Which so, is even more scary when the coach so, isn't even qualified to tell them that because you see that so often they haven't got a clue, and it's scary. Mm-hmm. You know, they're they're playing with actually people's people's lives and, and lives. Yeah, yeah, hundred percent. scary. And, and and what I'm trying to do now is so. As I said, in five or six years' time, I, I don't want to be involved as much in the fitness industry. But what I'm doing now is I'm taking on clients and I'm putting them in a group with myself and another coach mm-hmm. and then just monitoring that group. So when I, when there are diet changes that need to be made, I'll let the other coach do them. But then I'll oversee them and say, right, yeah. tell me why you've done this and tell me why this has been added. Tell me why this has been taken away. Because then that coach then gets a better knowledge base yeah. and they've got something turn to if they're stuck as well well i don't know how to make this person drop a couple more pounds can you help me explain to me why you've done this so we're creating a more educated industry um but as i said in in maybe in five or six years time that maybe that's all i'll do is i'll just oversee you'll just oversee and have like a a group of coaches that almost work under you and you you oversee everything absolutely yeah so so, yeah, in, in terms of the question, I know we've digressed massively there, but in terms of the question, um, what, what legacy would I like to leave? I would like to leave one of um, people know they get results, but they also know their health is concerned as well, um, that their health is always looked after as well. So that's the sort of legacy that I would love to leave in the sport. Awesome. Amazing. Great um, another quick question. What advice would you give to your former self, your younger self? Um, maybe, like just to care a little bit less about what people think. Um, people know me, will we'll know that I don't really care what people think. But yeah, I was going to say that. I was like, you don't come across as the kind of guy that really hangs on to that too much. But but there is still, I think there's a part of all of us which still does take that 5% and think, oh, well, I don't, I, I don't know why that person doesn't like me or I don't know why, you know, this. And, and if I could get rid of that 5%, I think I would increase 50%, you mm-hmm. know, um, so, yeah, I think all of us still have those insecurities where we're still a little bit like, oh, man, why, why doesn't that person like me? Or, you know, 95 percent of the time, I don't care. You know, I, I, I live the way I live and I do the things I do and I support the people that support me. But then as I said, there is still 5 percent of me that sort of 
does care about what other people think. And I wish I could get rid of that 5%. So if I was to look at myself five years uh, earlier and say, you know what, just don't give a shit about that 5%, then I, I think I would have progressed like exponentially by now. How would you get rid of that? Awesome. I think you do it by being aware, first of all, and, and he's aware. And I think actually he is getting rid of it. I think you are getting rid of it. I think, um, but what happens is you just get rid of it over time. When you're talking about your younger self, it probably wasn't 5% then, it was probably 25%. Yeah. But now you're at 5%. This is what I'm saying, in another year or two, and with more success, you'll be at 3, 4, 2, 1, you know, and it just it just gets smaller. Success tends to change that a hell of a lot. You hear people like Gary Vee, Tony Robbins, all these people talking about, um, don't listen to the naysayers, don't care about what people think which is easy when you're a multi multi-millionaire successful whatever but um when you're starting out on your journey you keep a shit about what people think you care about every post you put online you're like oh my god will they like oh my god i only got 20 likes oh my god what's going on but as you get more successful and as you get better at what you do you do tend to care less that's why you're in that great position now where you've got a successful gym successful businesses and all that so there's not many people in your industry that you'll really give a shit about their point of view because you're successful in your own right. But when you're small and you haven't got a gym and you're just starting out, like um, a lot of my clients are PTs, online PTs or face-to-face -face PTs, and, stuff, and they give a shit about everything that people think when they're first starting out. But as they get more successful, so I think the, the easiest way to do it, what I say to people is information. The more you know, the less you'll care. So what I always say to people is just learn, get better at your craft and learn. When I used to do things like this, we're doing right now and talking to people and especially when the public is listening, I used to get really hung up about people like Tony Robbins and some of the world's top coaches in the world listening or maybe getting a chance that they could stumble on this and hear it and think, Oh, what's he talking about? Oh, that's not quite right. That bit he said there or, oh, this is. I don't give a shit anymore. You know what I mean? It's um, you, you get to a point as you get better. And now I've been doing it for years and worked with people all over the world and had great success with lots and lots of clients. My confidence in being able to take someone from point A to point B is so high now that I don't really give a shit what anyone thinks out there. And that's changing. And again, like you said, there's probably is still four or five percent in there. But every year now that changes and goes down and down as I get better and I learn more. So I think in answer to your question, Emma, <laughs> um, is yes, you can get rid of that five percent. You get rid of it by being better at what you do and you, you, you just do. That's it. Sure. Um, another quick question. Obviously, you um, you're very busy. You manage a few businesses and um, very successful ones. How do you manage your work-life balance? Obviously, I know you've got a partner. Um, how how do you manage that that in total? Uh, I'll be honest, I don't. I don't. Manage. <laughs> yeah. <For now. laughs> I don't. Um, you know, again, I think like what you said, Rob. When you compare yourself to millionaires. It's very, very difficult because these are people that we look up to online. These are, you know, Andy Fossella, Ed Milet, these are people that are millionaires, multi-millionaires. But you don't compare yourself to the people at the bottom. You don't really compare yourself to people in the middle because you're unsure who's in the middle because there's such a massive discrepancy there. So you try and compare yourself to people who are at the top, but you're in the middle. 
So I think when you're in the middle or at the bottom, your work-life balance is so out of sync. It's so out of place because you're, you're striving to get up here. You know, you're striving to get up here. So your work ethic needs to be up here. You know, everything that you do needs to be up here. So when everything you do is up here, there's something that's going to sacrifice. And nine times out of ten, it's your work-life balance because, you know, I get to work at seven o'clock in the morning and I'll leave at eight o'clock at night. When I get home at eight o'clock at night, I generally do an hour's work and then I go to bed at maybe ten o'clock and maybe I'll only spend an hour a day with Mel. Um, and a lot of the time, that hour a day is spoke about business or, it's, you know, we're talking about something which is still relevant to the, the whole day where I've been. Um, you know, m- my social life is almost non-existent, um, you know, uh, because I'm striving to get here. Like I- I'm here and I'm striving to get here. Once I get there, maybe things will be a little bit better. Mm-hmm. Uh, but at the moment and probably for the foreseeable future, you know, my work-life balance is poor, you know, and, and I'm not afraid to admit that because it's 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 poor for a reason. And the reason it's poor is because I'm striving to become better. And and again, it's great that Mel understands that. And it's great that the people around me understand that as well, because if they didn't, it would be a right pain in the ass because I'd, I'd have to you keep get rid of them because, yeah. you know, you're on a direct path to where you want to go. So you're either with me or you're not. Yeah, and, and lucky, as I said, lucky enough, the people who are around me are supporting me and helping me get more and more and more and more. Like, you know, today I was meant to play cricket because uh, I play cricket for uh, my local league side. And it was just at a point where I said, you know what, I can't do it. I can't do it because I've got 150 check-ins to do. I've got 10 people coming to see me in the gym. Um, so I can't sacrifice seven, eight hours then to play cricket. So people will look at that and think, man, you've got a really poor work-life balance. And I say, yeah, I have. But I'm on the path to, you know, to, mm. to earn a million pounds a year. You know, you've got, great, you got a greater goal. Yeah. yeah, this is something I talk a lot about with my clients as well as they're growing and um, and especially the ones with the the who are trying to grow their businesses and stuff like that. And uh, a lot of the podcasts I listen to with successful people talk about this as well. This it's a it's a very uh, controversial area. You know, people who aren't entrepreneurs almost make themselves placate themselves by saying yeah but look at that I don't want to live like that I've got I've got this lovely cushy life but then you see them on Facebook or whatever moaning that they can't go on holiday or they haven't got the car they want or the house they want or this or that um it's a tough one but entrepreneurship is a lonely road isn't it and it's 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 almost thankless at times people look at it from the outside when you start to show a few trappings of the success you know nice gym and or maybe a nice car or whatever but they don't always see this side that you're talking about now which i think is totally right that you know where you don't have that great work-life balance i'm the same i work seven days a week and i mean saturday and sunday i work seven days a week um i try and cut out sort of afternoon you know on the saturday and sunday because my missus is like come on you have to give me a little something so i try and stop in the early afternoon on saturday and sunday and don't work through till eight and nine o'clock at night but um i work seven days a week um, I've got a new baby, I've got missus, you know, it's hard, but I am like you, I'm so driven to get to that next level, nothing can get in the way. And, and luckily, again, I've got a partner that understands that. So I think as an entrepreneur, you've got to have that supportive core around you and um, 
if you haven't, it can be, like you say, create havoc and make things really difficult. So people have got to understand you on that journey. And I think that's the bit that a lot of people who are trying to get into your field coaching, um, whether that's face-to-face, whether it's online, whatever it may be, opening a gym. I think a lot of people now, because it's become quite cool to do that, um, but they don't want to graft. And I get them as clients. I've had them. They come in. You tell them what they've got to do. They just won't follow through. And it's that mindset. That's why I asked you about the mindset at the beginning, um, you know, that to get there. And this is what I try and instill in them because people think they can just turn up and miraculously it's all just going to happen. But you have to actually give blood, sweat and tears, don't you? And, and really sacrifice a big portion of your life yeah. really to it to making it happen. Yeah. And I think that's why one of the reasons why we wanted to get you on here, because you are very driven. You've got a good business and it's just great to kind of share your story. Yeah. Because not a lot of people know actually your backstory. They just see you as Team LRF. You know, you don't really put that much on social media about yourself. So thank you. Thank Thank you you for sharing with us. That was a wicked, wicked chat. Yeah. And I think there's been a lot in there as well for anyone coming through in the game and and seeing what you're doing and having a bit of background as to what it's going to take to get there. So Mm -hmm. thanks for sharing that with us. It's been awesome. Sure. And, 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 and like a take home message, like we said at the start is, if I had the last Instagram post, what would it be? It would just be work hard. Yeah. Work hard, work hard, work hard. You know, if you can work hard, if, if you can, you know, a small portion of your life, you know, five years, six years, you know, if, if we all live to 70, we give 10% of our life to mm. dedicate to something and work hard, you'll be at such a better place when you're retired and when you're, you know, just 10%. That's all you need yeah. to do, just 10%. Work hard, seven, eight, nine years. Work really, really hard. Dedicate everything you can to one aspect and you'll become a master in that field and generally masters are rewarded. So yeah, that, that's, that's all, you know, that, that would be the take home message. For awesome. Us. That's, that's a gonna wicked be, take That's going to be the, the, the message for the whole of this podcast. Yeah. Work hard. Work that's hard. it. Simple as that. Because that's the answer to everything, I think, and in relationships and life as mm-hmm. well. So just work hard. Hey, Amazing. listen, thank you very much for coming on. Super um, blessed for you to give us this time. I know you're I a know. busy guy and um, it's been awesome. So thank you very much. No, it's been my pleasure. Thanks ever so much for having me. Thank Great. you. Speak soon. Yeah, Bye. Hi, guys. If you really enjoyed this podcast, please, please leave a positive review. And if there's any topics you want us to cover, drop it in the comments. And if you could share this with your friends, it would really mean so, so much to us. Thank you so much for listening. We can't wait to share the next episode with you. And if you want to know any more about us, you can find us on all social media platforms. Just drop by and say hello.